Welcome back, everyone, to the Addictive Pod. I'm Adrian, and on this episode, I interview the very talented Joey Jonas from Milwaukee. He is a professional drummer for the punk rock band Bad Year, and also works at an inpatient treatment center for addiction. In this interview, Joey dives deep into what was at the root of his addiction, breaking some of the stereotypes surrounding addiction in the process. Joey shares how he recovered, including reading a letter for us which he wrote to his future partner. I really hope you guys get as much out of this episode as I did. Enjoy. Cool, man. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you love it in Canada. You guys got what universal health care? Oh yeah. Part? Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. I respect Basically, that. We're, we're known for like winter and universal health care. Love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, what's it like in Milwaukee right now? How's uh, how are things going with the COVID crisis? Um. Well, for me personally, um, not much has changed in my, um, you know, in my daily life. Um, I am, so I'm, I'm in school studying public health and, um, I pretty much our classes were moved online. Okay. And so that was a bit of an adjustment, but, um, so my classes moved online and, you know, I wasn't really used to that. And it's actually a lot more work to have classes online because you have to actually, in order to participate, you have to type out your answers and assignments. And so that's even more work to do. Um, so my classes were moved online. I'm, I'm grateful to still be working through all this. I work at a inpatient treatment center. Amazing, um, man. Amazing. State and county funded. Um, and um so i'm grateful to um still be working at the, at this time and um we uh we actually stopped taking clients in about 2 months ago um and then yesterday we just accepted our first client who you know went through all the coronavirus testing before we could you know get them in and um so it's but you know we were down to two clients when usually we have 15 so mm. we're back up to 3 um so it's uh, pretty much we just deal with uh, mainly substance abuse and mental health um, clients and, uh, you know, county funded, state funded stuff. So um, it's uh, it's cool. You know, I get to kind of do my best to plant a seed, you know, and show show them that recovery is possible. You know, For sure. For sure. And I bet also from your own experience, that must be interesting to be able to share with others and. Uh, share maybe some of your own experience with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've worked in um, mental and behavioral health for several years now. Um, I started out as like a caregiver um, at an independent living facility. And it was just a suggestion from a friend. And I started working, you know, in the healthcare field. And I actually really ended up loving the position itself and the job. And I got promoted after about four months to being a supervisor. And um, so I've done everything from being a caregiver or independent living assistant to mental health technician to a behavioral therapist and working with kids with autism. Um, I've worked with paraplegics. I've worked with, um, you know, schizophrenia. I've worked with uh, a little bit of everything. Um, and now, you know, finally um, I, I, uh, I've, I'm really grateful to, you know, have this position and have an opportunity to work in the field of substance abuse in order to, you know, use my, you know, experience and um, knowledge and 
you know, what was passed down to me to pass it on to other people. And how does that timeline line up with your own experience of substance abuse? It was this sort of after you started to get clean and sober or how did that well, work out? Um, so I just celebrated two years in April. Congrats. So sober. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and it's definitely the longest time I've ever had. Um, and it just, you know, it doesn't feel it. It didn't feel that long. Um, when that day came, you know, my anniversary or whatever, I was just like, I can't, you know, I couldn't really believe it had been that long. Um, so, um, I started working, uh, I started working in the field about, I would say four years ago. Um, but, um, so I, and I, I, I've gotten about a year sober before too, but, um, it was, um, you know, kind of short lived and I ended up, you know, relapsing shortly after, you know, 12 months. Um, so I kind of, um, bounced in and out of, you know, certain jobs and fields and found myself, um, you know, always coming back to it, but in order to, you know, be useful in this field, you have to obviously have your, have your life together. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. um, so, um, it wasn't until I actually, you know, really had some time under my belt that I, that I, I became useful to myself and useful to, you know, my, my employer to, you know, my clients. Um, so, yeah, I kind of bounced around a little bit and, you know, continued to look and um, work in the field of behavioral and mental health and substance abuse. And um, most recently, I, you know, got this job as a, a program assistant at um, a facility here in Milwaukee. And, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I, wow. you know, I, we deal with, you know, some, you know, some guys that get right out of jail, we deal with people that come in right off the streets but um you know i've learned that you know you can't force you know you can't force recovery on anyone or anything but sometimes you know the best thing i can do at the end of the day is you know show these clients that you know recovery is is definitely possible and you know life can be pretty cool like and they have the option to you know to surrender and have you know have a better life. That's what, that's one of the main reasons why I got sober is because I, um, I was just sick and tired of living the way I was living and I wanted a better life and I didn't want to, I didn't want to live like that anymore. And so what was the difference? Because, so you got sober that first time and you were already in the field and then you, you slipped and, and went back to abusing these things while still in the field, which must've been really painful mentally to have that kind of contradiction. But um, what was the difference yeah. that, time that really brought you around to say, like, you know what, this is this has got to go? Yeah, it was definitely a mess. Like after I had relapsed and I had still, you know, had that supervisor job and things shortly after fell apart. You know, things when I relapse, I things get back progressively worse real quick. You know what I mean? Um, and that's just the way my addiction is. That's just the way, you know, I am when I use substances um so um pretty much this time around what um what happened is that i pretty much i was living out of state i was living in another state um pretty much homeless i was living in a tent um it was march of 2018 
living in a tent. Um, I spent, you know, maybe a week or two living in that tent and, you know, continuing to use. And uh, it just got to the point where I made it, I made a decision one day and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to live like that anymore. And like nothing I was doing or had tried previously was working. So I, mm-hmm. I guess a good way to put it was that I, you know, I really surrendered just for that day. Um, and then I've continued to just, you know, make that decision every day to, you know, turn my will over and just to not pick up. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of bottoms. I've had a lot of rock bottoms and it's just, um, it's, the fact that, you know, I'm still alive, that we're still alive and so many good people have died from this disease is it's pretty, um, pretty shocking. You know, when I, when I think about it sometimes, and there's just so many good friends of mine that have passed away from addiction and suicide or whatever. And it's, it's like, you know, why am I still here after all the crazy, you know, events that took place in my life and risky behaviors and, near-death experiences and overdoses and it's like the fact that i'm still here it's so like the least i can do is you know not pick up yeah today um you know whether it's living amends or whatever um i gotta do something like that every day and try to give back and take suggestions from people who have gone through the same thing i have um Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess um it got to the point where um, I just wanted a better life and um, I was very exhausted and I had no other options. I was just very hopeless. And it was, um, it was just time, I think. And I did it on my own. Um, I did it cold Turkey. Um, No, you know, I didn't do any medication assisted treatment and, you know, which I had done before and, um, I'm still in support of, you know, things like that for, for people, you know, um, for sure. supervised by doctors and everything, but it just got to the point where, um, and I didn't have any resources. I didn't even have insurance. I, I was living out of state and pretty much had nothing to my name. Um, and it, it was just time. I just made that decision. Um, and I'm really glad I did. And I, and I do that on, on a daily, on a daily basis. Congrats, man. Honestly, I think that's the best that you could do. That's the only thing you can do each day. And um, I'm really glad that you've made that decision. I've made that decision. Um, it's it's the huge difference in our lives. Um, and I'm curious because I really relate to you. In my first year of recovery, it was absolute shit show of relapsing and then coming back and then um, sure. deleting, deleting everyone's numbers, re-getting everybody's mm-hmm. numbers. Um And I'm curious, why is it, do you think, that some of us are like that and some of us require a bunch of rock bottoms, but then other people only have this one rock bottom and then they're they're, uh, sober for the rest of their time? Um, That's a good question. Um, I just wasn't ready. Like, I I went, like, went through hell and then, like, chose to go back, you know, continue to do things. And I just it's, it's, it's that powerful of a disease, at least for me, you know, as an addict and an alcoholic, I, I identify as both. I, 
you know, I, um, it's not so much about, you know, the substances for me. And I think, I think a lot of, you know, new guy, new people coming into the program or newly sober people, they don't, um, you know, they don't understand. They're like, well, you know, they don't understand the, the threefold, um, you know, uh, description of the disease of addiction. You know, there's the mental obsession, the physical craving and the spiritual malady. And I think a lot of people, even me, myself, I used to think it was just about drugs and alcohol or whatever addictive behaviors, but it's really about the way I think and how my brain works and how my brain works and how I react when I take substances. Cause it's different than other people who may be considered normal. Um, but, um, I just, honestly, yeah, my addiction, I think another factor for me is that, um, I didn't know how to cope with, um, you know, life and tragic events. And so I, I was, you know, I resorted to drugs and alcohol and it kind of just took a hold of me right away when I started it, you know, when I started partying, um, <clears throat> I was a, you know, I did, I did really well in high school and I was very active and, you know, stuff in high school. And, um, and I, you know, I'd always kind of been like, not really turned on by, you know, using drugs or people that use drugs. And then kind of towards the end of my senior year, I, uh, you know, began experimenting more. And I mean, starting on the last day of high school, I showed up drunk, um, you know, I was up all night with friends and even, even going back to that night and the first time I ever drank, I drank what I I drank way too much and puked Mm -hmm. my brains out like a lot of people, but like that would just continue to happen. And I would always do the excess amount. Um, cause, uh, I think it, I just, I really grasped on, grasped on to how it made me feel mentally and physically, um, emotionally, um, I was probably trying to escape, you know, a lot of things too. Um, mm-hmm. I went through uh, my, my drum instructor. The, the one thing that really triggered my using, um, I'm not going to say addiction, but my using and drinking was my, my drum instructor uh, two years into my college, uh, my freshman year of college, my drum instructor who I had taken lessons from for about five years committed suicide. And oh, I got, wow. I got, I got a phone call and, um, and I kind of just broke down and, uh, and it, yeah, I like immediately broke down and it was, uh, it was really hard for me. That one just really hit home. And after that, I just really started using and, um, partying and, you know, graduated to different things. And I just, you know, I fell in love with the feeling like I, I couldn't stop, you know, it was, uh, I was definitely using differently than other people shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Do you think there was any um, role, even aside from that incident, do you think there was any role that your family played or your earlier childhood played in developing some of those reactions? Um, I think as a, as an individual, I've always kind of felt like an outcast or not good enough. I don't know if there's any, I would say genetic, there, there probably may be some genetic deep, uh, predispositions and my family possibly, but, um, not directly that I'm aware of, um, at least in my immediate family. Um, 
but like I had a good childhood. I had, um, you know, I would say I was raised, you know, really well and fairly. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was sh- maybe sheltered a little bit, um, you know, a little bit too much. Um, and I think that made me want to rebel more. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think that definitely, you know, maybe played a played a part in it. And, um, but um, I just, it was just, you know, once I was kind of given that freedom and I moved out of my parents' house and I, re- I really just started, I didn't know how to, you know, I wasn't ready to go to college. I wasn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And really, I just, you know, kind of fell in love. It was just like bad timing, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So. You said something earlier that's really interesting to me, and I agree with you, actually. You said something about substance not really mattering, and it was more so um, what was going on in your head, because we've been talking now for maybe half an hour, and neither of us have mentioned specific substances, like whether it was blow or heroin or uh, mm-hmm. alcohol, just alcohol, and really, like, I don't think it really matters, and I think anybody listening to this who's wondering about those specifics I hope that you can kind of put that curiosity to the side for a little bit, because um, at the end of the day, like you're saying that you had a good childhood, that this one instance happened, but what do you think was really going on? What was the spiritual malady that was going on um, that led you to use alcohol substances to such an extent? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So I think there's definitely some, you know, depression, mingled in in there i think um i definitely feel like it did like my addictive personality or behaviors did manifest in different ways before i started using you know substances though okay yeah what what would you say are some of those ways that it manifested um i guess um i guess i had like some nervous habits like i used to bite my nails and Um, I used to, you know, um, I, I started like popping like sleeping pills, um, like from the pharmacy or whatever in like high school. And like, there's really no need for it, but I just felt like I needed to take them because I couldn't sleep or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so little things like that, um, little things that I look back at now and I'm like, okay, like that could be kind of, kind of be traced to, you know, similar behaviors, Um, definitely like, um, you know, my, like an obsession with music. Um, I would say that's more of a healthier thing. Um, cheating, like in, in school, like I would always like, I would be cheating a lot on, you know, schoolwork and tests and stuff like that ever since like grade school. Um, you know, uh, other, you know, addictive addictive behaviors like that and it was just you know kind of when i went through you know doing my step work i i kind of came across some of those things and you know i think they're i think did, they kind of they kind of relate did you ever find yourself it's so funny you, you mentioned the music thing because i've talked about this with a couple of their friends but do you ever find yourself uh just listening to one song or one album much longer than anybody else would um Absolutely. Um, I think I'm still guilty of that. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'll get really stuck on an album and with me, um, music, like I'm, I'm kind of picky, but I also listen to like a little bit of everything 
and like mm. as a drummer as a drummer that's how i was taught and that's how i was raised um so i appreciate a lot of different kinds of music but yeah i'll become obsessed with an album until you know <laughs> until i just get so sick of it you know what i mean but um yeah yeah um I'm the same though. I get it. And I, I'm not an expert in a field. I'm not an expert in the field. Like I'm not saying that anybody who gets obsessed with a song is necessarily going to be an addict later. I just think that it's, it's interesting that there are some of those other behaviors that showed up even before you started using the substances that might've shown. Um, yeah. Just coping with some type of underlying anxiety. And I really like that you're sharing that because it breaks some of the stereotypes I think that surround addiction that addiction only happens when there's like some abusive, super chaotic home or addiction only happens in some type of poor single mother condition or um, it, ha it can happen to any person just from a perception of uh, anxiety or perception of not being enough. And I'm really glad that you share that because I think I relate to that. A lot of people in recovery relate to that. And um, I don't know, did you ever feel because did you ever feel sharing in recovery that um, your story wasn't like, like, oh, I don't really belong here. Like what I'm sharing doesn't really sound like what I expect other people to be sharing. Um, yeah. Like I, I feel like I maybe, um, you know, when I was especially like more newer in recovery that I maybe categorize myself differently than, you know, other people that were, you know, sharing their stories um, if that's what you mean. Um, but I think, um, so how did you, how did you categorize yourself? Um, I don't know. I think I was just a lot of the times I was in denial. I was, um, I don't know. I, I guess I related to, you know, you know, recovery, uh, programs and meetings have, have def, I was definitely able to relate to a lot of people, but, um, it came down to like really taking a look at my behaviors and my actions and mm -hmm. not just, you know, me using drugs. It came down to like, um, it just came down for me to like, stop, you know, denying and um, accepting the fact that like, you know, realizing the fact that, what I'm doing to myself, what I'm doing to my body, what I'm doing to others, what I'm doing to my family. Um, and, and it took some changes within myself, my family and friends to really notice that because it wasn't until like my, my parents and my family showed me tough love that I was really mm -hmm. like, Oh shit. Like, you know, they were my, my mom pretty much said, you know, it got to the point where it was so bad that um, she said, don't, don't, come to our house don't call me until you want to get help you know don't mm. don't call me and she 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 put her foot down and that that made me realize i was like oh shit like i'm really hurting my family you know because i didn't mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. i knew i was but um it kind of put things into perspective like even while using i was like fuck like what's more important like do i want to keep hurting the people i love and fucking my life up or do i want to be you know be a son be a brother be you know be an uncle um mm -hmm. and it, it just really put things into perspective and 
and uh that was uh that was a that was a, a turning point for me for sure um so um that really kind of you know showed me that i was like man i'm really like hurting the people that i love and this is not who i am it's not who i want to be it was some traumatic you know a lot of deaths in the family um and suicides from close friends of mine and things like that um kind of i think just built up over the years especially from you know maybe eighth grade going until you know college throughout high school i think i didn't really know how to cope with you know losing you know these important people in my life and um that was definitely you know a factor so i there's the depression you know feeling like an outcast you know not feeling good enough or popular enough or that i fit in um you know feeling insecure insecurities um i don't know what else i mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I had I had a good childhood. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I always felt, you know, a little bit of an outcast. But, um, like, you could even ask, like, some of my friends from high school. Like, they, you know, I, I feel like when, you know, they found out that I, you know, ended up being an addict and alcoholic and ended up in recovery, they were kind of, they were probably a little bit um, surprised, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. because I was just like, I, it was never, that was never like part of my personality. Um, or maybe it was just hidden for such a long time and it manifested in different ways at that time. But, um, but yeah, like I didn't, I didn't really party that much throughout high school, but, um, something, something just clicked in, in, uh, first time, you know, I wanted to experiment with everything. I wanted to try everything and, and I just could knock it enough, like the first time I tried it. And it was, you know, it was just like, I, I guess I would say, you know, bad timing, you know, wrong place at the wrong time. But, um, you know, and, and that's, it's just part of my story. You know, mm -hmm. um, I had a, I had a cousin of mine, I think I was, I was in seventh or eighth grade and he died from a heroin overdose and he was, you know, older than me, maybe like 20, 21 and uh, I went to his funeral and I was still pretty young. And I was like, why would anyone do that? Like, that'll never mm. be like, that'll never like, that'll never be me. Yeah. yeah so I think it's, it's really cool what you were saying about um, sort of the, some of the underlying reasons for why you think you started to cope with, um, with, with substances and, and also sort of the turning point for you, that moment where you're, you're seeing what you're doing to your family and you're seeing what you might lose. Um, yeah. What did it actually, what did it actually take though? Like what, what did you actually have to do in this recovery phase to get to the place you are today? In the recovery phase, mostly you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Once you were back into recovery. Um, well, before that, I just want to mention that it took a lot of failure in trying again. Um, one thing I didn't do, um, was give up. And, um, so, um, I continued to always have faith. I'm like, I know I can do this. Like if these people can do it, like I can do it, you know, somehow, some way. And so I always strive to, um, so I took this idea into my recovery and one of the, one of the, 
one of the main three things that um, is still really important for me today is um, obviously being honest with myself and my sponsor and, you know, people around me um, with my friends and family, um, mainly myself. Um, and I do a little, you know, I do mental checks and, you know, am I really doing the right thing? Am I, you know, am I, am I making amends for where I did wrong? Um, and so, um, open-mindedness is also, um, like, so they say, you know, honesty, open-mindedness and willingness, um, mm -hmm. in, in a wow. lot of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I still have to continue to be open-minded to new things and new ideas, right? And suggestions. Otherwise, I'm just going to be closed-minded and probably end up going down the wrong path. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really important for me, and it's a learning process, you know, and I, and I still try to, you know, take the suggestions from my sponsor, who's like, you know, my rock in my recovery, you know, in my higher power. Um, so like one thing I usually talk about like with people is, is that, um, you know, how my recovery program has not necessarily changed over time, but it's kind of evolved. Um, and for me, you know, um, a couple of years in now, um, you know, my, my program has definitely, you know, changed a little bit, but I feel like it's evolved a little bit more and I'm using it, you know, in different ways. Um, so I may not go to as many meetings as I used to. This is just, you know, my experience. Um, mm -hmm. But I find, you know, I find other ways. I'm, I'm connecting with people in other ways. Um, and, um, and, you know, meetings are only, you know, part, you know, one part of someone's program of recovery. Um, there's a lot more things that, you know, I always tell like clients I work with or sponsees that, um, the, one of the most important things, you know, for us to do is to find what works for us. Um, because mm -hmm. everyone's different. Everyone's program of, of recovery is different. Um, but I, for me personally, I had to find out what works for me, what keeps me sober on a daily basis. And I, and I, I try to stress that a lot to people um, and to myself, like I need to, you know, I had to find the things that keep me sober and then, you know, continue to do those things, but also be open-minded to other ideas, right? If I'm struggling with, you know, certain things, you know, take suggestions from my sponsor. Um, so I, it took a long time and I, and I had to, you know, do things I didn't want to do and, um, you know, take these suggestions or whatever. And, um, I ended up, you know, finding what worked for me. Um, and so I, you know, one thing that I stress also is, you know, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get sober just to have a, a basic kind of boring life. You know, I, I, I personally have to, I had to find things that I'm passionate about. And things that mm -hmm. promote, you know, not just my recovery, but my mental health, my relationships. Um, so, like, for me... And before know, we... Yeah. Passion. Before we get into the passion, because, like, I think that's amazing as well. That's a whole other topic. But going a little bit further back, like, early recovery, what were some of those things that you did that really helped you out in those in those early days? Did you go to an, an in-care uh, treatment center, or was it just going to meetings? Sure. Um well, this time around, this time, 
around. I didn't do um, I didn't do any detox or inpatient um, or any you know medication assisted treatment uh, with buprenorphine or suboxone. Um, I, this time around, I did it cold turkey. Um, I've done those things in the past. I've I've done you know detox and long stays and inpatient. Um, and I, and I'm in full support of them. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, if I, if I could have, I probably would have done that this time around too, but, um, I just, I guess I didn't have the resources and, um, it was just, you know, my, you know, it was just the way things went down. Um, but things, you know, things that I did early on is the first thing for me is I was living out of state, right? So I, I, I pretty much started over, started fresh. Uh, the first thing I did was get a sponsor, right? Found I found the first dude I could in, in a meeting and I got a bunch of phone numbers. Um, and, you know, I started calling this guy every day um, as suggested. Um, so I got um, a sponsor right away. I went, to, I went to a lot of meetings, probably this time around, I, I was doing about five meetings a week um, for the first several months. Um, Awesome. And, you know, calling my sponsor every day. Um, I did that. I connected with people, you know, who were in recovery and early recovery. And, you know, I, I, I had to, you know, I had to be honest, um, you know, about, you know, everything. Um, I tried to stick with people that were pat passionate about recovery. And, um, I was living in Indianapolis and I found these, you know, the first, the two sponsors I had down there were, were both super passionate about recovery and, um, sobriety. And it was, it was just really inspiring and I'm, and I'm really grateful for them. And, um, they really launched my, you know, they really had a huge, played a huge part in my, in my program. Um, and I think that kind of was and you passed were, you, down to me. Cool, man. You were saying that they gave some suggestions. Can you remember, or could you choose maybe like your top one or two suggestions that you got in those days? Mm-hmm. Um, two things. So what I did with um, my uh, main sponsor down there was uh, we got together at least once a week together in person and read read the book today together we read the the big book together um so we did that got together once a week and um that was really helpful because he was you know not only had his side of you know his experience with the book and what he has learned from you know other people in the program um but we were able to you know go back and forth and really kind of dive in deep and um he just had a, a little bit of a different way of going about it Um, and, um, with, um, so for my fourth step, I did, you know, a super, a a pretty in-depth fourth step, um, you know, all the, you know, basic resentments and all the columns and then, you know, your, your sex ideal or sex inventory. I did all of that. And what he did with me was, you know, he, we did our fourth and fifth steps together. Like he did, you know, he showed me how he was taught how to do it. And actually we did them together and we shared back and forth. And I think, um, I I hadn't really had, um, a sponsor who had done that before. And that was really helpful for me. Um, 
and you know i i really went in depth on you know uh what is it the the relationship ideal um the sex ideal and um you know he was he said you know he said it was one of the most in-depth <laughs> inventories he's ever seen and i kind of went all all out all in but um it was wow, man. it was um it was really helpful for him to you know for me to share that with him and um so about every year i do i do another fourth step but i also do daily inventory so him sharing his experience and how he was taught hands-on really helped me also i'm actually not that familiar with the relationship ideal could you break that down a little bit i haven't heard of that um so yeah i um so pretty much i got it right here in my room so like you do your sex ideal. It's, it's, um, I think it's actually on page 69 in the big book. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. They talk about um, the sex inventory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I pretty much like went through all the relationships I've had, the romantic and all of those things, wrote them down, all the encounters I've had. Um, and, and then after that, I, um, you know, I wrote, he had me write a letter to like my future significant other, you know, cause a relationship wow. is something, you know, that I'm interested in. And, um, I found it actually a couple of weeks ago and going through my notebooks and stuff. And, um, it's pretty deep. I don't know if you want to hear it, but, <laughs> um, Oh man, if you're, if you're open to sharing some of that, I'm totally interested for sure. Okay. Um, let's see what we got. I got it right here. I'm just, um, but yeah, I filled out an, you know, an entire notebook again, after also doing previously before that I had done a fourth step out of refuge recovery, which is a, a non-theistic Buddhist um, program of recovery, um, which was also very interesting, a different way of going about the fourth step. So I think both really helped. Mm. Um, but yeah, refuge recovery is um, also a great fellowship. Um so cool. I've never heard of that either. I'll check. Absolutely. Yeah. They have meditation meetings and a lot of, a lot of uh, the, their book is great. Their basic text is really great. Um, and uh, my first sponsor introduced me to it and um, he's actually my sponsor now. Um, so um, yeah. So you do like your review of fears, your resentments. Um, and then actually what um, Alex was his name, my sponsor pointed out we did the columns of the fears and resentments and he's and he asked me like do you notice any anything that stands out and what he showed me is that um in every column for self-esteem self-esteem was checked off so like how did you know did this relationship or resentment affect your you know, your self-esteem, your pride, emotional security, ambitions, personal relations. Um, self-esteem was checked off in every single um, resentment. And he really mm. pointed that out to me. Um, so um, pretty much we um, just printed out something offline. It says fourth step inventory resentments. And then there's another one about review of fears. It says step four worksheet fears. I think it's from 12stepping.org. Um, so, and then he had me, you know, 
um, pretty much follow what was in the book. And then um, I wrote this, uh, this letter, I guess it's for, you know, a future significant other. So um, yeah, I probably wrote this two years ago. It says to my future love. It's really cheesy. So bear with me. (laughs) Oh, go for it. Go for it. To my future love. I am ready and willing to give my entire self, body and mind and soul to you and our relationship. I promise to be honest with you about everything day in and day out. I promise to accept you without judgment into my life to grow together and follow our dreams. I promise to open up to you when I'm struggling. I promise to love you for you and show you that by giving myself my actions and thoughts to you with love in mind. I promise to always put you before myself for better or worse in sickness and health. If we are rich or we are broke, my admiration for you will not affect our kinship. I promise to forgive always, to treat you, treat you with the utmost respect, kindness, and care, to put your needs before, to put your needs in front of mine, to fight for you and our love, to defend you from any danger or fear, to take responsibility for my own actions, to maturely make the right decisions for our relationship and not myself, to always do the right thing, to make you my priority along with my recovery and my relationship with God to always be understanding of your thoughts and feelings and opinions, to put your health and well-being first, to make sure you have all of your needs met before mine, to love your mind, body, and soul, to be patient, and to be a man of integrity all days of my life. Wow, man. That's that's really beautiful. And I think as somebody who's been in relationships before recovery and now I'm in a, a new relationship in recovery. Yeah. It's, um, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to break free from some of those older habits and older ways of being. So I think by having that intention and really writing that out, that's an awesome practice. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like a whole different game. Cause you're actually fully like invested like like if i were to get into yeah, a relationship yeah. it's not something i'm gonna do like half-ass like i'm gonna take it seriously like you know i'm at that point you know so um but yeah it's i found that um a couple weeks ago and i had totally forgotten i wrote it and um so it was cool to find that um so so yeah they call it the sex ideal or relationship ideal so yeah it's so cool it seems like a huge jump from in the past like using people to mm-hmm. now in the future you're setting this intention to give yourself and and really commit to someone um it's a different game like you said i love that absolutely and so. um but i'm paul i'm sorry for cutting you off earlier because you wanted to start talking about some of the passions that you've had in recovery and i'm really curious if you could share more about that yes um so um my first year of recovery, I, I found myself very lethargic and not fully like motivated, but, um, in like last year, um, I've just like made a lot of changes, I guess. Um, and I've pretty much found things that work for me, like things that I'm passionate about. So for me, I focus on, you know, my priorities, like my sponsor always tells me to, um, so I 
I mean, one of my biggest passions is music. So um, I play drums. Uh, I play in a band. Uh, I also play guitar and write songs. Um, I write like my own songs and then I write some songs for the band and write with my bandmates. Um, that has become, you know, a huge, you know, outlet for me. Um, so music, whether it's listening to it or just playing guitar once a day, every night and writing, you know, writing a song or writing a guitar lick once every day, once, one song a day, like that's been my goal wow. at, actually since January 1st, 2019, I haven't, I haven't written a song every day, but I've, I've made quite some, uh, you know, I've, I've made a lot of stuff and it's, it's cool and it's exciting and it's fun and it's a good outlet for me. And, um, that's what Paul McCartney did. He wrote a song every day, I guess. So, um, so that's, that's something I, um, I find myself, most of my free time goes to towards music, whether it's, you know, mm -hmm. um, doing art for our band or recording and, um, or promoting or whatever, um, making, you know, merch or t-shirts and buttons. And, um, so it's kind of like I'm investing, you know, time and energy into something that, you know, gives back to other people and gives back to myself. So yeah, music is a big one for me. Um, and like, I've just been, I've this, I've just, I started song writing a lot of songs and my songwriting has really taken off and it's, and it's a great outlet for me. Um, whether it's just writing lyrics or little guitar parts or whatever. Um, and then like another thing is like my job, like I, I'm really passionate about working with, you know, people early in recovery. And, um, you know, like I said, some days all I can really do is, you know, show them, you know, by example and show them that recovery is possible, whether, whether they're ready or not. Um, cause a lot of the people that come into, you know, the program there, um, may not be ready and that's okay. Cause I've been there. Um, and maybe it's not their time. Um, but I, I always advocate for um, harm reduction and I always give them Narcan and um, Naloxone before they leave, um, before they leave treatment, they get it prescribed and they go home with it um, or they transition, you know, to another facility with it. Um, what else do I do? Um, so I'm in school. I, I just, um, I dropped out of college 10 years ago, but um, graduating college is something I've, always wanted to do and it's been a goal of mine and you know I was like well you know if I can get sober and stay sober like I want to eventually go back to college and mm -hmm. so I, I I chose to study public health because um, it seemed most fitting for me and um, where I was at with credits and everything and so I ch completely changed my major and I just finished my first year and I did a lot better than I I, I ever thought I would I got a 3.9 GPA in the last two years. Nice. That's um, amazing, man. Congrats. Yeah, it, it, it was an adjustment for sure. And, you know, it's a, it's a whole new, it's a whole new game because I'm actually like, the, you know, this time through going through school, it's like, I'm actually in, invested in it because one, I, you know, I paid for it. Like, I, this is something I want to mm. do. I'm investing my time and energy into it because I'm passionate about it. And it's something I, you know, it's a, it's a goal of mine, but I also, it's something, it's a field that I feel there's a huge need for, um, and a huge demand, especially, I mean, during this pandemic, I mean, this is all, 
yeah. public health based. This is so yeah. there's a, and there's a lot of um, fields to go into in public health. So um, when I do eventually go for my master's, it would be um, community and behavioral health is what I'm thinking, which is pretty much what I have experience in, which is great. Um, I may also get my um, substance abuse counselor uh, license in the future. Very cool. Very cool. We're on similar tracks, I think, with what we want to do in the future. And um, but I do want to jump back a little bit because I'm really excited about your music and about uh, the bad year, the band sure. that you're a part of. Um, Let's talk I'm curious. About tell me that name came before 2020, right? Um, actually, yeah, um, you can go all the way back to um, my my Instagram. I think it was like 2018. I made like this like image of Britney Spears with her head shaved and she has like an um, <laughs> she has an umbrella and she's on the sidewalk and she's about to smash in this car window. Oh. It's like really random. And then I just put bad year like at the bottom. Yeah. And it was like it was like an idea I had like for like, you know, the music I was starting and and then I eventually like um, I made, you know, I connected with an old buddy of mine who we used to be in a band together. And and he's also he's been sober over five years now. And wow. uh, it's just amazing, like the the relationships and connections that will come back to you, like um, in sobriety and recovery. Uh, I had never expected it to happen. And now we're, you know, we're best friends like more than ever. Um, so, yeah, we're called we're called Bad Year out of Milwaukee. Um, our Instagram is bad.ear. Um, our website is badyearmke.com. We just got our merch and our merch and everything up on the, uh, on the website, which is exciting. So we, we got, we just got our CDs in last week of our new EP. It's called handshakes. Um, on our Instagram page, you can click the link and it'll take you right to our music video for handshakes which was a lot of fun um recording and we did it all in one day and that's our debut hit single and um it was just kind of like a a brainchild of mine and uh we started the band about last year and a little over a year ago and um went into the studio last summer to record drums and about to go back in again i told I told my bandmates, I mean, the day school gets out, I'm going into the studio with or without you. Um, nice. But um, yeah, it's it's super exciting. We're still we're still definitely like finding our sound, but like um, it's we're super happy with like what we've put out. We produced the record ourselves. Um, Mike did my bandmate did all the mixing and editing, and he did a no really way. great job. Yeah, he did he did a really great job. Um, so shout out to Mike and Sean from my band. Um, so it's been really fun and, and it's just great to playing drums is such a good outlet for me. Like it's not only therapeutic, but it's like anger management. Really. I can really, I can <laughs> nice. honestly, I get to hit stuff as hard as I can and, yeah. and it's fun and it's a workout and I get to be creative. Um, so it's a win win. Um, I'm jealous. It's like a full body, uh instrument you know i i'm jealous because I, I play a bit of guitar but i always envy the drums they seem to have the most fun yeah it's uh and i <laughs> the the way i play is i i play extremely loud and hard um <laughs> nice and uh you know some might say i don't have the best technique and i would probably 
agree with them, but it's fun. It makes it more fun. And it's, it's about, for me, it's about the energy and, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect drummer, but, uh, I, I like to really go crazy on stage and, you know, put out that energy, um, and make my fingers and knuckles bleed, but it's just part of the, it's just part of the gig, you know, it's, but, um, yeah, so we're, um, we got a bunch of new stuff we're working on. Um, we're huge advocates for mental health and substance abuse. Um, and, you know, we're just, we're just getting started and it's really exciting and it's something I'm passionate about. Our, our music video on Facebook, I think, got over 140,000 views since nice. April, some, since maybe March. Um, so it's been really cool and a lot of people love it. Um, and, um, yeah, we're just a rock band. Um, so we kind of, yeah, me, punk, me included. Man. Roots, so. Yeah, definitely share, share some of the stuff you got with me. I'd love to hear it. Um, oh, my music. No, no, no. I'll let's no, I'm not but uh, <laughs> I'll definitely be following more of your guys' music and I'll be following bad deer. Cause that was a, that was a great song. And um, I'm excited to see what else you guys come up with. Um, yes, us too. Like a tight group. And yeah. I have one last question for you, going back okay. to addiction just before we close off. And it's kind of a weird question, but I'm curious if you could have a tattoo based on that would sort of help you in recovery, based on what you've experienced, what would it be? One thing, I guess, it, it could be related to recovery for sure. Um, I actually... So I got um, a tattoo about a year, uh, yeah, about a year ago um, on the back of my leg, on the back of my calf. And it's, um, what is it? It's a lot of things. It's an anchor that um, turns into um, a lighthouse. It's American traditional. So it's, it's an anchor and going up, it turns into a lighthouse. And um, there's also like a black sea behind it. And... Um, what else is there? Um, there's like sinking ships, right? So um, I got it in reference into two songs um, that have really helped me get through addiction and get through, you know, my recovery itself. Um, so it's in reference to Alkaline Trio's Dead on the Floor is the name of the song. And it, the lyric is like two ships in the night were colliding and sinking into the black sea of our love and what i um and then the other song i got it reference to is that um i want to add i'm thinking about adding this lettering actually to it above it and below it in relation to the quote in the song called smooth seeds smooth seas don't make good sailors um and um i was pretty much you know, it's just, it's just a quote and a proverb that has really hit home for me um, in a lot of ways because, you know, had I not gone through, you know, the tragic and terrible things that have happened to me in my life, um, it, I wouldn't be like who I am today. Um, and it's hard to imagine, you know, what life would be like, you know, without you know, what had happened, what's happened. And, um, so for one, I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful to be alive. Um, you know, 
with all the, you know, with all the situations I've been in. And um, so I, I try not to take that for granted. Um, but I think the proverb itself really put things in perspective for me. Um, had I, you know, had I not gone through my journey in this process, um, I wouldn't be who I am today. And, and I was saying like, I'm, I'm content with, you know, my life today. And I, I can respect myself and I, and I love who I am. And that's only because of, you know, recovery and sobriety. Um, and I, one of the coolest things, and, you know, I'm really grateful to be able to, to do the things I love today. Um, and if I, if I wasn't sober, it, I wouldn't be able to, to do those. I wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, so I'm, I, I continue to try to stay passionate about, um, you know, my music and my job and my school and my, you know, my career, my future career and helping others and giving back and, um, you know, developing relationships like meaningful relationships and, you know, it, and it's a process and recovery is a, a daily reprieve. And um, I need to remember that um, for me because I do identify as an addict and an alcoholic. And, you know, every day I, I start over fresh. It's a clean slate. Um, and I have to treat, you know, this disease that I have. Um, but it's pretty cool. Um, I, I get to, I've been inspired by people in recovery that have, you know, shown me that not only is recovery po possible, but life, life can be pretty cool. And like, you'd be surprised at, you know, what things materialize into. Um, I'm an uncle today. I'm a brother, a son. Um, I have two of the coolest little nephews and they're, they're the greatest dudes. And, um, they're just, they're just, um, another thing that I fight for every day. Um, and, uh, it's, it's great. I, I get to do what I love and I, you know, try to, carry that passion and share it with others. So yeah, it's pretty cool, man. You know, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, guys, if you haven't already check out his Instagram, check out his, uh, check out bad year Instagram. I'm going to post the links in the description and Joey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, if I could throw one more shout out and a recommendation for one of your future podcasts. Absolutely. Um, so uh, three friends of mine are in a podcast called Don't Die, Wisconsin. And um, three really good friends of mine. They're huge advocates for harm reduction. Uh, I believe their Instagram is Don't Die, Wisconsin. And uh, huge advocates for recovery, harm reduction. Um, their podcast itself isn't 12-step based, but they, they go into a lot of things about sobriety and recovery and Cool, related cool. fields. So I would recommend them. Shout out to Kevin, Patrick, and Ryan. Um, and Adrian, I really appreciate you having me on here. And uh, I hope to connect in the future.